Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 110 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
For this episode of Vegan Business Talk, I'm going to share with you an audio recording of a 20-minute talk I gave earlier this year, that's 2018, at the Plant Powered Women's Conference in Sydney. Organised by vegan publishing powerhouse Kathy Devine, the conference provided a platform for a range of female speakers from all walks of life talking about various aspects of veganism and plant-based living. My talk was on how to get media coverage for your vegan brand. Now, because this was an event focused on plant-based women, I gave a couple of examples of two female vegan entrepreneurs whose stories I shared in my Forbes column. Laura Way from vegan watch company Voch and Anatalia Bui from luxury faux fur brand Peluche. The aim was to explain why, as a journalist who writes about vegan and plant-based business for Forbes, I chose these two women to feature. Now, I get a lot of pitches from both publicists and vegan business owners, and I turn down far more than I choose to write about. What got Laura and Anna over the line were their stories and aspects about them or their brands which made them interesting and relevant to my audience. I also shared some tips, including an exercise I teach business owners enrolled in my Vegans in the Limelight online PR course and group coaching program on how you can find the stories in your brand, including your own stories as the founder. You can also watch a video of this talk, as well as read a blog post about it on the Vegan Business Media website, and I'll put a link to these on the show notes page for this episode. Here's the talk on how to get media coverage for your vegan brand. My background is journalism. So I've worked for about 18 years as a journalist. Um, I've worked as an editor, features writer, news editor and sub-editor on a range of niche and mainstream media, both on staff and as a freelancer in the UK, where I'm originally from, the US and Australia. Um, as mentioned previously, I actually have a, a column in Forbes on Forbes.com, which is the iconic business publication, and I specialise in writing about the vegan and plant-based business sector, which I think goes to show just how far we've come when the editors of that kind of magazine say, yeah, yeah, we want you to write about vegan and plant-based business. You'll notice behind me I've got some logos in there. Those are just a small sample of some of the um, places that I've either written for or I've been quoted in or interviewed for. Very quick tip, when you get coverage for your vegan business or your non-profit, make sure you do this as featured in and grab those logos because it really lends credibility to you and your brand and your venture. Okay. Now, I've only got 20 minutes to talk to you today, so I'm not going to pile in a whole load of strategies because that wouldn't be terribly productive. What I'm going to do is focus on one particular aspect of how to get free media coverage, and that is something that's already been discussed today, and it's the most important aspect, and that is stories, sharing your stories. As human beings, we are hardwired to love stories. Every time we go, I think Lee Rhiannon mentioned, when we go out to meet people and we hang out over dinner or we go on a date, we get to know, like, and trust each other by sharing our stories. Stories challenge our minds. They peak our emotions. They lift our spirits. And they impact our values. The key with media coverage is to pitch the right story to the right journalist or media outlet at the right time. 
What I'm going to do today, as this is the plant-powered women's conference, I'm going to share with you a couple of stories that I wrote about in my column on Forbes. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why I chose them, because I hope that will give you a bit of an insight into how journalists think and the process we go through to decide what stories to run or not. So I'm going to share with you the story of two fantastic female vegan entrepreneurs. The first is Laura Way from Watch. Tracy already modelled um, her brand, her vegan watch. Now, in August 2014, Laura was spending up to 20 hours a day lying in a bathtub to try and relieve herself from the excruciating pain she was in because the skin on her entire body had dropped off. Now, the reason this had happened was because since she was a very little child, Laura suffered from eczema, so the doctors put her on steroid creams. So for nearly 30 years, she'd been on these steroid creams. But in 2014, she decided no more. She was going to stop taking them. So in conjunction with a health practitioner, she stopped taking the creams. And her skin it was like an addict. Her skin was so used to these steroid creams that it literally went into withdrawal. The condition is actually called topical steroid withdrawal. She had pus and it was dripping and it literally, the skin on her whole, whole body fell off and she was in terrible pain. Now, Laurel at the time was working as a TV producer for an advertising agency. She was working for brands like the BBC and other big names. She was a bit of a high flyer. She was living with her husband in an apartment in London, but the apartment had no bathtub. So when she got topical withdraw uh, steroid withdrawal condition, she needed to move in with her mother so that her mother could care for her and her mother had a bathtub. Now, Laura had to give up work as well, of course, because she simply couldn't work in that condition. While she was spending those 20 hours a day in the bathtub, she educated herself on animal rights and animal documentaries. She was already ve vegetarian and had recently gone vegan, but she wanted to learn more. So she watched these documentaries. Then one day, the strap on her watch, her favorite watch, broke. And she said to me that because she had experienced the pain of losing her own skin, there was no way she was ever going to buy a product that used the skin of a once living being. So she hunted around for vegan watch straps, couldn't find anything she liked, so she started watch. Now when Laura approached me, she was already had a good she already had a really successful business story. She launched her business watch in August 2016. So she's only been going for 18 months. She's still in startup phase, but she's already on course to make 250,000 pounds, which is almost half a million Australian dollars. So for other business magazines, that alone would be an interesting story. But what really got Laura over the line for me to want to share her story is her willingness to share her personal story to share her vulnerabilities, to be very open about the struggle that she'd gone through. So when you, if you've got a business and you've got a brand, think about your founder stories, you as the owner or founder. What are your stories? Why do you do what you do? We've heard some fantastic stories today from some of the business owners and uh, Lee Rhiannon in, in politics and others about their journey and how they got there. So be brave and share your stories because that can get you over the line in terms of media coverage. So this is the headline that I used for Forbes. It was how a debilitating skin condition led a TV producer to start a vegan watch company. So it's, quite, it's not clickbaity, but it's an interesting headline. It kind of 
makes people curious. Okay, and that's what journalists are looking for. They're looking for that something extra. We're looking for that something a bit special. The other person, the other vegan female entrepreneur whose story I want to share with you is Anna Tagliabue. And Anna is from Italy. She's from Milan, but she's lived in New York for over 20 years. And she's a real fashionista. Anna's first job when she came to New York over 20 years ago was at Fendi the store that is well known for its luxury furs, real furs. Anna said to me, at the time, even though she was working at Fendi, there were people from Peter outside with their banners, you know, chanting down with fur. And Anna was kind of like, she was, yes, she was working in Fendi, but she was thinking, I'm really with you guys. So the seeds were planted way back then. She knew one day she wanted to start a luxury faux fur company. It took a long time and research because she didn't want to just start any old thing. But, if, but four years ago, she decided to launch Peluche. Um, all the products are handmade. I've actually met Anna. I was there in New York last year um, and met her at her studio. I've touched these products. I've worn them. They're beautifully handcrafted. They look and feel like the real thing, like real fur, but they're not. This is an opera singer, German opera singer, Diana Damrau, who borrowed one of Anna's coats to wear for the photo shoot for a CD cover. Beautiful products. But when Anna approached me, um, she was ha had a show coming up for New York Fashion Week. And she started her email to me as, I'm first and foremost, I'm an animal activist. And then she started to share her story. Um, and she talked about her shows and the fact that, yes, the models were going down the runway. They weren't walking like this. They were probably doing that model walk. But I tend to walk a bit camp, apparently. But yes, the models are still walking down the, the runway. It's probably the glitter boots. Um, <laughs> they're walking down the runway. So it's like a New York Fashion Week in that sense. But there's so much more to it. One, Anna is very dramatic as she said she's Italian so she has dramatic uh, music to open it every single part of the show is choreographed but what she does is she brings activism into it so she gets her models all of whom are animal activists of different ages they start by wearing t-shirts with messages like this one that says cats are used in fur trim and trinkets she gets her models dressed in her beautiful clothes to walk down the runway with placards. So you know how you've got Peter, the animal activist, who often hijacks shows at New York Fashion Week of designers who are using real fur, and they jump up on the stage and then get thrown out by security. Anna actually builds this into her New York Fashion Week shows. She collaborates with nonprofits. This is a rescued wolf dog that she had featured in her show. She also had rabbits there. She collaborated with a local rabbit uh, rescue place, and she had rabbits there who were available for adoption. So uh, this was a no-brainer already. When Anna contacted me, I'm like, yeah, duh, of course I want to write about her. But there was one extra thing about Anna that made me that kind of go e uh, even more go, yes, of course. She got a phone call from a celebrity stylist who said, Helen Mirren would like to wear one of your coats to the opening of a film that she's in, Collateral Beauty. So Anna said, oh, of course, of course, you know. Anyway, the stylist came to collect this coat, and Anna handed her an anti-fur pin, like a little, uh, a little pin button thing that says no to fur. And she says, look, will you give this to Helen? Ask her if she'd be willing to wear it. If she says no, it's fine, she can still wear the coat, but ask her if she'd wear the anti-fur pin. Helen Mirren, being as cool as she is, obliged, 
And this got a this image got a huge amount of media coverage. So mainstream media loved it because again, I mean, look, Helen Mirren could get media coverage just by stepping out of her front door or turning up at the premiere. But the fact that there was this added element, it makes journalists even more interested. So not only did mainstream media cover this, but of course loads of animal rights and vegan media covered it as well, which was obviously great for Anna's brand too. And that's another little aside. So if your business or brand has been endorsed by a celebrity in any way, make sure you capitalize on that. Like it or not, we live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. If you have a celebrity who supports your cause um, or, and is willing to do something for you, um, make sure you use that because it will get the media's interest. This is the headline I used for Anna, Anna's story. This vegan entrepreneur is taking on the $40 billion fur industry. And Helen Mirren approves. I did that on purpose because I knew by putting Helen Mirren in the title that it would be a good search, SEO search, and that not only you know regular business people who read Forbes would see it, the vegans would see it, but also fans of Helen would see it. So again, this is the kind of things that journalists are looking for, particularly online nowadays. Um, journalists are now, we're publishing stories that have to be of interest to our audience, but also shareability is really important. This is a new development. When I trained as a journalist back before email um, and online, none of this really came into play. But now, uh, stories are often run designed on their shareability. So the more stories likely to be shared. So th that, these are the kinds of headlines that they're thinking. And when you're pitching to journalists, you want to try and be thinking of your subject header as potential interesting uh, interest-peaking headlines. So I hope that's given you a bit of an insight into the way journalists think and how not only your business story or the story of your nonprofit is of interest, but your founder stories are of interest. So I want you to think about what are your stories. If you employ staff or volunteers, if you have a nonprofit, find out their stories. What do they do when they're not working for you? That can get local media coverage wherever they're living. If they're doing something particularly interesting and the local media does a story about them, your business, your brand, or your nonprofit could get a mention. So make sure you include them. And of course, animal stories. Now, you're, it's been a piggy day today, hasn't it? We had Picasso earlier, who was gorgeous, and I'm sure some of you know the beautiful girl, Esther the Wonder Pig. Your animals don't have to be as famous as Esther, but they could be, but do share their stories, because one thing media is really looking for is good quality images and video. One organisation here in Australia does this beautifully, Edgar's Mission, um, Pam Ahern, wonderful vegan leader, advocate, she makes beautiful videos and images of rescued farmed animals, positive and uplifting, that really change how people view farmed animals. Instead of seeing them as just things to eat, they are shown as full rounded human beings with lives and emotions. Um, and media really like that. So Pam's stuff's been picked up, Edgar's mission's been picked up by The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, One Green Planet in the US. So sharing these on social media as well helps you to get on the radar of media um, who will then often share stories. Because 
One downside to particularly mainstream media, and I was talking about this when I was being interviewed for the Supreme Master TV earlier today, is that mainstream media does focus a lot on bad news, negative news, drama, conflict, and all of that kind of thing. But they do like to balance it every now and then with positive, uplifting things. And that's when, and they're often looking for free content. So if you're a business and you've made a cool video, or you're a nonprofit and you've made a cool video, They'll, um, and you can offer that to the media, they'll be delighted because they haven't got to spend money um, creating that content, which is not great for professional photographers or videographers, I know. But again, this is where we're at, and I'm just talking to you about the potential opportunities um, for you. So I want to give you a little exercise that you can do um, today, which I teach people in my, I've got an online uh, PR course and on group coaching program. And I teach people this, this little uh, exercise, is to figure out five fun facts that most people probably don't know about you. I know sometimes a lot of people think, oh, I'm not very interesting. I, I don't know what my stories are. And this is something you can put on your website, on your social, and share this. Jasmine had a wonderful example this morning that she's got a diploma in synchronized swimming. So stuff like that. So don't panic. I'm not asking you to reveal your deepest, darkest, most intimate secrets. Often when I say this to people, everyone goes, oh, I can't share that. Uh, but I'm not asking you to share that kind of thing. It's just you might have a quirky hobby, something, you know, a little bit interesting or out there. Make sure it's legal, okay? That will be my only, only proviso and not harming anybody else. Um, so have a think about those. I'm going to give you a very quick example. These are what some of the ones I've got on my website. So it could be five facts, it could be seven, it could be nine. Between five and seven is a good idea. So I've played a lesbian vampire in a short film. I was adopted and I'm in touch with both my birth parents. I'm half Persian by birth. My birth father is Persian, lives in New York. I met Lauren Bacall, and those of you who are too young to know, golden age, mega Hollywood film star. I met her at the age of 18 outside the Haymarket Theatre in London. I was incredibly excited and starstruck. In my 20s, I've been chased by riot police through fields protesting against a farm that bred kittens for vivisection. In 2005, uh, the Adelaide Advertiser gave me an Oscar, which is their version of the Oscar, for a one-woman character comedy show that I did called Kitty Minge, Good Time Girl in a Big Bad World. And finally, I once flummoxed Sophia Loren, another golden-aged Hollywood film star, when I asked her what her views were on marriage equality. Sophia was over here in Sydney about 10 years ago for the Italian Film Festival. I was working for the gay and lesbian press at the time, so I put my hand up at this press conference she was at, and I asked her what she thought of marriage equality, and she looked very bemused, and she went, I don't want to talk about this, so let's just talk about movies. I didn't care, Sophia Loren spoke to me. <laughs> So look, it doesn't matter if you, I'm not saying you have to meet celebrities or anything like that. I'm just trying to give you an example of some things that you wouldn't otherwise include in your, it doesn't naturally flow in your about or your official bio, but you can stick it in this little section on your website and in your online media kit. I know when I've been interviewed by other media, a lot of journalists will pull from this because it gives you a bit of extra color and interest. So if you're a thought leader and an expert and a journalist is looking to quote you and your expertise, and there's five other people who have got similar expertise to you, but you've got a little bit of this on your website, that can get you over the line and get you chosen because it makes you a bit more interested. 
So I know we've got a jam-packed session and I'm almost out of time. So if you would like to go to veganbusinessmedia.com, there's a lot of free tips on there in the form of blog posts and a podcast that I host on marketing and media and how to run a successful business. Um, I, you can also find out about my book, Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Note how I'm promoting myself and I don't have any problems with it. Please get over your fears of promoting your business or your brand or your cause because the animals need you. Um, there's one copy left. I've actually sold loads today, which is awesome. Yay me. Um, okay. <laughs> and I also run, as I mentioned, a 12-month online PR course and group coaching program for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. It's called Vegans in the Limelight. And we need more vegans in the limelight. We need more vegan women in the limelight. Do you agree? Yes. Absolutely. I know there's a couple of my students here. There's uh, three, I think. Robin, Claire, Joanne, uh, Bianca, if I haven't missed anybody out. They're all awesome and they're getting themselves out there in the media. And it's really important that you do that. You've heard some wonderful stories today. I hope you've been inspired by that. And I hope that you will go out there publicly within your communities and, of course, in the media and share your stories and make a difference. Thank you. <laughs> So I hope you found that talk helpful. Again, if you want to watch the video of the talk or read about the tips that I gave, you can check out the blog post on veganbusinessmedia.com, which is linked to from the show notes page for this episode. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Vegan food brand Beyond Meat commissioned researchers at the University of Michigan's Center for Sustainable Systems to put its flagship product, the Beyond Burger, through a life cycle analysis study to determine how its environmental impact, so that's greenhouse gas emissions, energy, water and land use, compares with production of a traditional beef burger. The environmental impact of U.S. beef production was drawn from an existing life cycle analysis study commissioned by the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in 2017, and the Beyond Burgers analysis was evaluated using the same impact assessment methods. The report, which was released this week, that's September 2018 if you're listening in the future, found that the Beyond Burger generates 90% fewer greenhouse gas emissions, requires 46% less non-renewable energy, has more than 99% less impact on water scarcity, and 93% less impact on land use than a quarter pound of US beef. So this is more proof that plant-based meat is more sustainable than animal-based meat, and hopefully this will convince more retailers and investors to support plant-based food brands. You can find out more details about the study in my Forbes article, which I'll put a link to on the show notes page. The Fry Family Food Company have got eight of their products into UK supermarket chain Sainsbury's. Char-grilled beef-style strips, sausage rolls and a steak and ale country pie are among the products that are due to hit shelves on the 10th of October, with additional frozen products arriving in November.
The vegan brand, which also recently picked up a Peter UK Vegan Food Award in the Best Sausage category, has been around for 27 years and it's tried for 16 of those to get their plant-based meat alternatives into the chain stores. Dealing with retailers can be hard, especially when you've got products that until now haven't been overly interesting to large supermarket chains. It takes resilience and persistence to stay the course. As Tammy Fry, the family business's international marketing director, said on her Facebook page, never give up. (laughs) Excellent advice. So it's great to see supermarket chains finally embrace a diversity of vegan products. And if you work in this field, now is a good time to explore what opportunities you might be able to take advantage of. Finally, new Nielsen data commissioned by the Good Food Institute shows strong growth across plant-based food categories. US retail sales of plant-based food grew an impressive 17% in the past 12 months from August 2017 to August 2018, with total sales now topping $3.7 billion. Comparatively, total US retail food sales grew just 2% during the same time period. Plant-based meat sales alone have increased 23% in the past year, with the US retail market now worth $684 million. The data reveals a nationwide shift with sales of plant-based meat growing double digits across all nine U.S. census regions, particularly in the country's centre. Refrigerated plant-based meat sales are growing fastest in the mountain region, while frozen plant-based meat sales are growing fastest in the west-south-central region, which includes Texas. Meanwhile, plant-based milk is now sold in 89% of all retail outlets and commands 13% of total retail milk sales nationally. Sales of other dairy alternatives, including creamers, yogurt, cheese and ice creams, are also up by 62%, 54%, 41% and 40% respectively. So this is fantastic news. I love getting this kind of data because it really shows how consumers are embracing animal-free foods. And again, this offers excellent opportunities for entrepreneurs working in this space. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.